John chapter 19, verses 17 and 18 say this. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him. After being on the cross for a period of time, the Bible goes on to say in verse 30 that Jesus lifted up his voice and said, It is finished. Bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It's an interesting thought what takes place in these few verses. What we find is that uh, there was a person who was crucified, that he was put on a cross by the Roman soldiers in order for him to die. And what a very painful, excruciating, grotesque death it was. The Romans had nothing more severe, nothing more cruel that they could do to a person than put them on their cross. And there Jesus hung in disgrace and in shame. Interestingly enough, the verses we just read do not share a lot of information with us. In order to know more about the story, you have to read in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. You have to get a bigger context of what's taking place. What we find, the person on the cross was in fact a good man. He was in fact a good teacher. He was in fact a very good prophet. He was an incredible leader. But what made the person on the cross amazing was not that. What made the person on the cross amazing was that this was God's son. Now anyone looking at that from a logical human standpoint would say that, that just makes no sense and I'm with you there. It makes no sense that God's son would be on the cross. I mean if you were to look through this at human, humanly, uh, in a human way, you would understand that the Son of God, the God of all creation, the God of all, His Son should not be on the cross. One would wonder, well, why? Why would God put His Son on the cross? I mean, if He could do something about that, if He could change it, why would God put His Son on the cross? The answer may astound you. It may confuse you. But the answer is that God put His Son on the cross because of His great love. Now, I said it might confuse you because, again, from a human perspective, one might think Christ was on the cross for a lot of reasons, but love wouldn't be one of them. God would put his son on a cruel cross to pay a cruel price because of love. And yet, the truth is, that's exactly why he was on the cross. You see, the Bible talks about God and it tells us that he's holy, he's righteous, he's perfect in all of his ways. The problem is for us that because God is those things, He cannot allow anything into His presence that is not like Him. And as I mentioned that there's a problem, the problem actually is huge because none of us are like Him. 
So then when we think about dying and going to heaven, we have to face the realization that because God is holy and righteous and perfect in everything and every way, there is no way He can let us come into heaven. Because the Bible says that we are all sinners. We've all broken God's commandments. We've all rebelled against God in one way or another. Some in many ways, some in few ways, but regardless, we've broken God's law and therefore we are not perfect. We are not holy. We are not righteous. And when we leave this life to step into the next, we have no hope in ourselves of standing in the presence of Jesus Christ in heaven. But herein is where God expressed His love to us. The Bible says that God was not willing that any should perish. In other words, perish is when I pay the price of my own sin. When I am placed in the lake of fire for all of eternity to pay for my sin by myself where I will never fully satisfy the debt. God is not willing that any should perish, the Bible says. But God in His great knowledge, great mercy, and great love realized that our eternal separation would distance us from Him and God made a means by which we could be made right with God by which we could be bestowed upon the glory and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God made a way for that to happen in our lives. And that's why we find Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why we find Him dying a very cruel, grotesque death. Because the only way for us to be made right with God is for the price of sin to be paid. And the only one that was righteous and holy enough to pay that price for us was God's Son, Jesus Christ. He's the only one. John 3.16 says that God loved us so much that He gave His one-of-a-kind Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, not spend eternity separated from God, but would enjoy everlasting life. God's love placed His Son on the cross. But now at this point in the story, we find that Jesus Christ is dead. His lifeless body would be removed and placed into a grave. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is dead. What began as a grotesque part of the story ends this segment of the story with something that is very sad and very tragic. But how grateful I am that this does not end the story. Father, thank you that the story does not end here. And as we begin to sing, we will see the ongoing part of the story. And as we talk again, we will understand maybe more fully what was taking place in that incredible moment where you showed your love 
by sacrificing your son for us. Thank you, Father, for that sacrifice. Because without the sacrifice of blood, there is no forgiveness, no remission of sin. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Well, the songs have given it away, haven't they? We left Jesus Christ in the grave, lifeless, dead. And yet we know that the end of the story is much further down the road because three days after he was placed in the grave, rumors started to fly that Jesus Christ was alive. In fact, one of the rumors came from Mary Magdalene, John chapter 20 and verse 18 she came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken to her. She wasn't the only one. Rumors were flying that Jesus Christ was alive, but the disciples were struggling with this. And they had watched him be brutalized on the cross. They had seen the agony with which he struggled to breathe. They watched him die. They saw him brought off the cross and placed in a tomb. Now to hear stories that he was alive, it was really hard for them to accept. Oh, it's true that he had told them that he would be crucified, that he would then rise again three days later. But still, as you can imagine, this was hard to understand. Thomas seems to be the last holdout of the group. John chapter 20, verse 25, he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the print, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails and the hand into his side, I will not believe. There's no way. I know what this is all about. I know what he told us. I know what the prophets have prophesied. But unless I actually see him alive, there is no way I'm going to believe it. How important it was that the rumors be true. I mean, it was vital. It was vital for us on, on many different places, many different areas. It was vital that the rumors be true. It was vital that Jesus Christ actually be alive. And why? First of all, because it proved he was who he said he was. It proved that he was the Son of God. I mean, think about it. A lot of people died on the cross. A lot of people suffered at the hands of the Roman soldiers. None of them were God. Jesus could claim to be God, but if he stayed in the grave like everyone else, he wasn't what he claimed to be because he had specifically told the disciples, I will die and I will rise again three days later. It had to be true or Jesus Christ was not who he said he was. Romans 1.4 says, by being raised from the dead, Christ was proved to be the mighty Son of God with the holy nature of God Himself. 
So the resurrection would prove that Christ was, in fact, the Son of God. The second reason is that the resurrection would prove that Christ had the power to forgive sin. He had made claims. He had spoken, and the Pharisees were skeptical of what he was saying. He had forgiven someone of their sin. Who did he think he was? And yet, if he was God... If he was the Son of God, if he did rise from the grave, it would verify that in fact he was. Maybe he also had the ability to do what he said and to forgive sin. Paul asserts in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, If Christ had not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sin. But if Christ has been raised from the dead, what he claimed to be accurate is in fact accurate. That he in fact had the authority and the power to break the bonds of sin. And to justify, make righteous those who receive the free gift of salvation. But not only that, it was vital that he be resurrected. It was vital that he be alive again, that the rumors be true, because it also revealed his power over death. Jesus told his followers that death would not keep them, that they would not be contained in the ground. He said that I'm going away to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming back to get you. Paul later tells us that those who have died here, their body has died, that there will one day be resurrected. But in the meantime, Christ said that where I am, you will be with me always. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How vital it was that Jesus actually be resurrected because he was promising life. But if he himself was dead, if he himself could not overcome the grave, then that leaves the rest of us in great jeopardy as well. Romans 6, 9, Christ rose from the dead and will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. Death no more holds power over Christ. Death no more holds power over those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have received his free gift of salvation. Death no longer holds us captive. Jesus saw the difficulty the disciples were having. And I believe that that even though it showed a lack of faith, that Jesus understood what was happening in their thoughts. So Jesus came and showed himself to them. In fact, he called Thomas out in John chapter 20, verse 27. He said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving any longer. Thomas, I know your lack of faith. I know the fear that's gripped you. I know the turmoil you've been through over the last few days. I know the pain and the agony that my death has caused you. 
Thomas, I want you to recognize that everything I told you was true. I am alive. Jesus died to pay the price of our sin. Jesus died to pay the penalty for us. And he lives to make intercession for us to God the Father. What an incredible, incredible promise that God has now extended to us when he says that those who will call on the name of the Lord Jesus may be saved, may be forgiven, may enjoy the benefits of what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. When he took our sin, he became sin for us so that we might take on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This morning, that free gift of salvation is available to you. God is extending to you the sacrifice of His Son as payment for your sin. And He's calling you to Himself. If you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, can I invite you this morning to come to Him? Say, Tom, what would that look like? In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. The ladies are going to come to the instruments. Jason will come. And at a certain point, I'll ask him to begin singing. And Jason will sing a, a, a song that is known as an invitational song for us. And it's just simply an invitation for you to respond to what God is calling you to do. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe today it's become clear that He died for you. And He died to pay the price of your sin. Maybe it's become clear that He did not stay in the grave, but God brought Him back to life with power over death, hell, and the grave. And this morning, you want to receive His free gift of salvation. As God is drawing you to himself, would you please respond to that message?